0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Stand-up comedian Maz Jabrani brings his Things Are Looking Bright tour to the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. on March 19th. I spoke to Jabrani in 2017 during a previous visit to the Kennedy Center to film his first original Netflix special. Maz, thanks so much for joining
1: us. Thanks for having me, Jason. How you doing?
0: We're doing great. Anytime we get to talk to a comedians, a good morning. Come on, that's, it's the best way to start your day.
1: Now you got pressure on me, bro. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, don't worry about it. But uh, this is your first original Netflix special that you're going to be taping there, right? How exciting is that?
1: Oh, my God, I'm super excited, man. Um, you know, I've had other stand-up specials on Showtime as well as on um, Comedy Central, but this is the first Netflix uh, original. And um, to be honest with you, ever since I started doing stand-up, uh... about nineteen years ago now wow. i've always wanted to do a special in washington dc um, and and there's a couple of reasons one is because i'm a big fan of eddie murphy's and he did delirious in dc <laughs> um, so i kind of wanted to be like eddie murphy uh, but but also i um, i ever since i started touring and coming to dc i honestly think that dc has some of the best audiences in the world um, and so i'm super super excited
0: it really is, and you're going to be in this. Uh, to your first point, you're going to be in the same building that literally just honored uh, Eddie Murphy with the Mark Twain Prize two years ago. Um, and hey, that's a
1: good point. There the, you go, man. It's coming full circle.
0: There you go. But to your second point, it is great audiences because they're smart, they're politically engaged, you know, they're 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 cultured, you know. So you can you can go into a lot of areas, which I know you do a lot in your in your comedy. Um, you know, a lot of more political topics. Are we going to see uh, any any more political jokes in this? Yeah,
1: man, it's crazy because um, I, as much as I, I, I tried to avoid even getting into that world when, when, um, when, when the election started, you know, it was interesting because was, everybody was doing Trump jokes. And I, and I thought to myself, what can I do that no one else is doing? I'm not even going to try it. Right. And then uh, as he kept talking, it became impossible not to do Trump jokes. So now it's, yeah, there's a ton of political stuff in there. Um, it's, it's crazy because it used to be that, when the weekend came, you 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 were kind of guaranteed you're not going to hear from the president. Uh, but not this one. Saturday morning tweet. when people ask me what what's the material about, I say basically I try to take on uh, political issues, social issues, and my kids. So those are the three things
0: <laughs> in that order. Uh, that's yeah. uh Awesome. Well, everyone hates politicians and kids.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, I yeah it's it's easy to bag on both of those, <laughs> those groups, you know, just kidding we <laughs> they're lo- the enemies,
0: just kidding, we love kids. Not the the other so much. Uh, Awesome, but no, but no. It's it's actually um, you know while you're making us laugh, you are you are doing an awesome you know service doing this social commentary stuff. So we thank you for that. I mean, there's serious dramas that I don't know, like Malala, Doc. They they deal with these serious issues about xenophobia. Um, But but why is comedy such a unique like instrument to be able to go there in, in ways that I don't know? It does it disarm people, gets them to think. You know what I mean? Why is it uniquely suited for that?
1: Yeah, I think comedy historically has dealt with. Politics. Um, they, they, when you look at guys like Richard Pryor or George Carlin, even uh, Lenny Bruce, to an extent, um, they all were dealing with some serious topics. But when you deal with it with comedy, it, uh, it it gets the message across in a way that the audience almost isn't thinking about it consciously. Um, you know, I've heard I heard I was on a panel with D.L. Hughley once, and he said that comedy is like giving people. Their medicine, but in orange juice. <laughs> and so it really is that. So, you know, and, 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 and that's, that's the way I know how to be. I've, I've always been a big fan of comedy. I've loved comedy myself. And um, once I got into it and I realized that coming from the perspective of an Iranian-American, I have a lot to say, um, I realized that I, I kind of have this um, tool that's been handed to me that uh, that allows me to, in a diplomatic way, get my point across. And so that's what comedy does.
0: Man, that's a good way to look at it. So you mentioned you're born in Iran, Tehran, right? Um, and you moved to San Fran area, the Bay Area, around like six. Um, do you do you remember Iran much, or have you gone back to, to visit since? Or, or I guess you were too young.
1: Yeah, you know what I remember from Iran is just great memories. I was there. Um, I was born in 72, and I was there till late 78. So it was before the Revolution. So there was definitely not... Um, the the strict uh, Muslim laws that are governing the country now, uh, and um, and as a kid, I just remember playing. I remember I remember a lot of American influences. I remember uh, having Spider Man comic books, being a fan of Zorro. Uh, I w- I love Muhammad Ali. Uh, just just it was it was fun. It was great. And then uh, yeah, moved to America, grew up in America, and then I went back. About twenty years ago, my father had gone back uh, because of uh, business reasons and I went back to visit him for just a two week period I was in my mid to late 20s at that point and it was it was bittersweet because the people were fantastic it was they were so welcoming uh, my family as well as uh, just strangers the people were great the um, the memories were amazing i don't I don't know if you've ever gone back to a place you haven't been in for Twenty years, but I would walk into my the aunt's house, and, and the smell of her food would just bring me back wow. to my childhood. So all that was amazing. the The sad part was there was a lot of young people that I met there who seemed to not have a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Felt like the economy wasn't good. Felt like they were um, somewhat um, uh, held back by again by just some of the regulations of the government. The, the the Some of the laws where, for example, men and women can't be walking around in public if they're not either married or siblings. I mean, you can, but somebody could bother you and go, what's going on here? You guys, you know, you, you can't be dating. So there was a lot of freedoms that that uh, we take for granted that they didn't have. So that part of it was, was actually kind of a downer.
0: Right, right. Well, hopefully some of the good things like your aunt's cooking help counterbalance that a little bit for sure. Once you got here to the States as a kid, which comics did you grow up on? Well,
1: as a kid, it was interesting. I was thinking about this recently. So like you said, I came out at, at around six years old and, and, and kind of going back and trying to analyze myself from back then, I, I thought, first of all, I thought, um, you know, I, I wanted to make friends. And I remember I used sports. Um, I used to also go shopping with my, um, with my mother. We'd go grocery shopping and I would buy a ton of candy. Uh, for myself, but I would bring extras and I would kind of pass them out to other other friends. So, <laughs> so I was kind of bribing my way into friendships. Um, and I was, and, and I became a big fan of comedy. And and so that's around the time I started watching comedy. And I think Eddie Murphy was definitely the the, the big one that I remember. Uh, but then once I got into it, I think I would just binge on Saturday Night Lives. I would binge on. Um, they had Evening at the Improv. I remember watching all the Rodney Dangerfield specials and. Discovering guys like da Marrera, um Sam Kinnison, Andrew Dice Clay—you um, name it. I mean, all these guys were on there, and uh, you know, all the there was uh, Arsenio Hall back then. There was all these. I mean, it was it was it was nonstop, and and it was great because now, as a parent, we are very um, diligent about our kids falling asleep on time, and and we keep going back into the rooms and telling them to go to sleep. But I remember. When I was a kid, now, I'm guessing I must have been eight or nine, maybe even ten. I don't remember my parents checking in too much. They would just say, go to your room. And I go to my room, and I had this little black and white TV. And I would just turn it on and stay up late and watch this stuff. So... That was my uh, my. I was kind of that was my nerd nerdiness was was comedy. I was a comedy nerd. That's awesome.
0: But you almost didn't go into it, right? You studied political science at Berkeley, and then you did the PhD program at UCLA, and that's when you kind of left and officially dove into to comedy, right? It, to explain how that worked, you wanted to go into politics first, or what?
1: You no, know, it's, <laughs> it's very much a uh, an immigrant story, and that when I think a lot of immigrant parents, when they come to America, they they have dreams for their kids. I think actually any parent, but. Immigrant parents, in particular, they think, "Hey, listen, I, I fled a revolution to get here. So right. you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor," um, and that's what my parents had convinced me. I'd been doing theater since I was 12 years old. In school, we had some great programs, and I, I fell in love with being on stage. Uh, and when I told my parents that's what I wanted to do for college, they kind of said, "No, no, you should be a lawyer or a doctor." So I chose to do poli sci at UC Berkeley, thinking that maybe. That would then lead me to becoming a lawyer. Um, and then while I was studying poli-sci, I, I went for my junior year. I studied abroad in Italy, and there was this professor, and he was great. And I was watching him, and I go, that's what I'll do. I'll become a professor. That's, that'll please my parents because it's a very prestigious job, but it will also allow me to stand in front of people and, and <laughs> you know, lecture. It's kind of a, a compromise. And so I got into a Ph.D. program at UCLA, and as soon as I got in, I decided I'm going to go audition for a play as well at UCLA. So I got into the play. What was the play? The play was this, it was this very, it was, a, it was a modern play, um, very avant-garde. Uh, it was called, uh, I think it was called Surely Not in Vain. It was about a guy who's married but is uh, gay, he's closeted gay. I played his father, uh, who was kind of an overbearing father. And it was just very avant-garde, very out there, very college, um, you know, risque. It was was a lot of fun. But it was great because I'd be doing the play at night and having a blast. And then I would go to my poli-sci classes during the day. And every time we would uh, discuss anything at poli-sci, it would always kind of digress into a conversation about what purpose we served as political scientists. And quickly I learned that if you want to be in academia, it's all about publishing or perishing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's really not what I want to do. So that's when I dropped out. And basically in a roundabout way, I ended up at at the age of 26 was when I decided to really pursue this stuff seriously. And um, here we are 19 years later.
0: Yeah, the Professor Jabrani that never was. Almost, man. Well, you're giving lectures now. It's just lectures that make people laugh, in a way. So you're still on stage in front of a class, in a way. Um, that's awesome. How did you get the comedy nickname The Persian Pink Panther? Who came up with that one? That's great. Oh, my God.
1: you are, it's, so, it's so funny you asked that because The Persian Pink Panther comes from a movie I made called Jimmy Vestwood, American Hero, which is about a bumbling idiot. It's about a guy... Who's living in Iran? He wins the green card lottery to come to America, and he's always wanted to be an American hero because he was a big fan of Steve McQueen's <laughs> since he was a kid. He loves Steve McQueen movies. He wants to be a cop. He comes to America. He can't get a job as a cop, so he ends up becoming a PI, and somehow he finds himself entwi- uh, entwined in a, um, in a plot to start World War III. Someone's trying to start World War III, and he's got to save the day. And it's just a fun, silly comedy that I uh, co-produced and co-wrote and starred in, um, and it came out uh, last year. And we would describe it as the Persian Pink Panther, because that was kind of my writing partner, this guy named Amiro Hepzion. Um We wanted to make, uh, we were big fans of the Peter Sellers Pink Panthers, so we wanted to make uh, that kind of a, an Iranian-American version of that. So, so we, we made it. But along the way, when I would describe it, at some point, somebody, I guess, took that, And they put it on my Wikipedia page. So unbeknownst (laughs) to me, I would go in for radio interviews for my stand-up comedy, and they would introduce me to go, we have here today with us the Persian Persian Pink Panther. (laughs) And after like two or three of them, I go, excuse me, um, where are you guys getting this? And the guy goes, it's on your Wikipedia page. And I'm like, really? So I swear to God, Jason, I have been trying to get Wikipedia to take that off because I've been trying to explain to them that I am not the Persian Pink Panther. The character from the movie, the movie was described as the Persian Pink Panther. And the latest um, back and forth, I actually have a screenshot where Wikipedia wrote us back. I got like my manager or somebody to try to take it off. Wikipedia wrote us back and said, just because the person from this page does not like the title that he's been given doesn't mean that we're going to take it off. Wait, so, basically, really? you can't go in there and edit.
0: even you can't just go in there and edit it out.
1: <laughs> I cannot. I guess they're basically saying, like, I guess it would be like they're playing it as if it's a fact about my life that I cannot get rid of, and it's the funniest thing. It's very, very Big Brother. Oh, um, just this, just this little rabbit hole that you get into, and the email that, that I wanted to send it out of the screenshot because uh, on my social media because it's just hilarious that that they're telling me that I don't know me better than me.
0: (laughs) That's great. What was that? There was a great Steve Carell line in the office, you know, and he's Michael Scott. He does that real deadpan and he goes, that's what I like about Wikipedia. Anyone can add to it. So, you know, you're getting the best possible information.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a crazy thing.
0: Oh, that's hilarious. All right. So that's a little apocryphal then the Persian pink panther. We'll, we'll try to get that out. We'll get the word out that you need to get that scrubbed from uh, all this online stuff.
1: Start the campaign, man. Let's
0: do it. Let's go. And the, Kill the Pink Panther. Uh, that's yeah. awesome. All right, well, what's a legit uh, actual, I know is an actual title of one of your groups, was the the Axis of Evil Comedy group. Uh, how did you guys how, how'd you get hooked up with them?
1: Well, the Axis of Evil Comedy tour was this group of stand-up comedians from different Middle Eastern American backgrounds. Um, what happened was I was a regular, meaning I performed a lot at the uh, comedy store in Los Angeles, and the owner, Mitzi Shore, who's a legend in comedy, She's Polly Shore's mother, but she's also the lady who um, basically built the comedy store. And that's the club where guys like Letterman and Leno and some of the bigger names had gone through. Well, when Mitzi makes you a regular, you get to perform there. And and at some point, Mitzi, um, being Jewish, she was watching CNN. And there was uh, this is in the year 2000, I think there was an intifada, an uprising with the Palestinians uh, and the Israelis. And so, as she's watching it, she had this epiphany. She goes, You know what? I think there's going to be a need for a positive voice for Middle Easterners in the very near future. This is before September 11th. So, she decided that she's going to do a special night. Just once in a while, put together a night uh, because she'd done that before. She'd done like the Black Comedy Night, the Women of Comedy Night, right. Latino Night. So, she wanted to do Middle Eastern Night. So, she got any Middle Easterner that she knew, and there was not that many at the time and they asked me if I knew some, and I introduced a few that I just met here and there. And we put the group together, and originally she called it the Arabian Nights. Um, And it was me and Ahmed Ahmed and Aaron Cater and a handful of other comedians over here uh, in Los Angeles. But then as the tour continued and the show continued to start to build and we started to kind of tour with it a little bit, we decided to change the name because inevitably whenever we'd have a show, Iranians would come up after the show, and say things like, oh, I really enjoyed the show, but, you know, uh, we're not Arabs. And I'd go, yeah, I know, but that's the name, Arabian Nights. That's what Mitzi Shores called it. I see. And um, basically around 2005, me, Ahmed, and Aaron Cater decided to uh, basically branch off from there and call it the Axis of Evil Comedy Tour just to kind of lampoon that term that George Bush had given to Iran, Iraq, and North Korea. Right. And uh, we started touring with it, and uh, it, it really, actually our first big show was in D.C. at the Lisner Auditorium, wow. uh, November 11, 2005. And it basically kind of put us all on the map, because uh, eventually a production company saw it and, and liked it enough to produce it for Comedy Central, and, uh, and then from there we, uh, we, we went on.
0: That's awesome. I didn't realize that that sort of started pre 9 11 and all that sort of just happened in real time. and the name change, I thought it was after the fact. That's awesome. Um, you mentioned uh, Letterman and Leno a few minutes ago. It must be wild that you. I mean, you've gotten to go on so many of these awesome, you know, legends late night shows. Uh, I know you went on Leno, Colbert, Craig Ferguson, all these guys.
1: Well, as a comedian, you're excited. You're very excited to do those shows. Um, it's actually hard because you go on and you do uh, usually four to sometimes six minutes tops. And it's harder to do a four or five minute set than an hour long set because you really have to nail it down. You got to know you're in and you're out. Uh, if the crowd is laughing at the wrong places, meaning they're laughing early or laughing at the setup, you kind of, you kind of got to start talking again because you, you're, you, you have limited time. So there's times when you will say something and the crowd starts cheering. You're like, Oh, shut up. I got, I only got four minutes. Um, but it was exciting. I remember when I first did Leno. It was really exciting because that was off of the Axis Evil comedy tour. And yeah, he comes backstage. He says hi. I brought my mother and my uh, manager and a friend. And we were all so excited to be there. Um, and it, it it just it's interesting because once you walk out on that stage, you realize how small the actual theater is. There's usually like two hundred, maybe maybe three hundred tops people in the audience, and um, and and you don't really. You don't really think about the fact that, that you know the whole country is going to see this, uh, but they do. And it's really exciting. And, and I'll tell you, more, more recently, the Colbert one, um, I, I had always wanted to do Letterman. I was a huge fan of Letterman, and, um, and I never got a chance to. But I've also been a fan of Colbert's, and I'd actually been on the Colbert Report uh, back when he had that on Comedy Central. So once Colbert came around uh, this past fall, actually the Friday before Trump became president I did stand-up on Colbert and I had Trump material and I remember doing it going well I'm gonna be retiring this material uh, next week so uh, that's it and then he won I was like oh no wrong you, how wrong you
0: how wrong you were
1: <laughs> I know and then more recently I actually got a chance to go and sit on the couch on Colbert which that was um, I was so excited I was really fired up uh if anybody's interested they can they can youtube it it's on there it's uh, you know just monster brownie and colbert but i'm telling you listen it was amazing it was it was an 8 minute interview and it felt like 2 minutes it just flew by and it was so much fun and and i would i do that every night if i could
0: <laughs> well, hopefully you feel the same about this interview. We've been going uh, 20 plus, so we'll, I know you got to catch an airplane. So we'll let, we'll let you go. But just in closing, why should we? Why should, if our listeners heard this and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. He's hilarious. Why should they come out to the Kennedy Center?
1: Come to the theater. Let's have some laughs, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, it. It'll be fun.
0: Thank you so much, Maz. We'll see you out there, sir. Thanks, Jason.